From the Las Vegas Review-Journal studio, welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of Mobbed Up, The Fight for Las Vegas, presented by Pro Group Management. Additional sponsorship provided by the Golden Steer. John Katsalamidis here. As always, I want to give you a quick warning that this podcast contains explicit content such as strong language and depictions of violence, including murder. Please be advised, this podcast might not be suitable for all audiences. Oscar Goodman estimates he tried more than 300 criminal cases over 30 years, rising to prominence defending some of the biggest names in organized crime. He earned a reputation for being passionate about the law, for being tough and smart, and, at times, brash and unconventional. He seized any opportunity to expose what he felt was wrongdoing by the government, especially leveraging any missteps by the police or prosecutors. But he had ambitions beyond being a mouthpiece for the mob, as he was often called. He wanted to be mayor of Las Vegas. However, before he was sworn in in June 1999, Oscar faced one last courtroom battle. We haven't talked about this. The last case you tried prior to when I, I expect you ran for mayor. Uh, and what do you remember about that? Well, it was probably the toughest case I had. You know, I talk about all these cases representing Judge Claiborne mm -hmm. on the Conforti case and representing uh, Jimmy on the uh, assassination case. It was the Alpha and Omega as far as judges were concerned. But the, I think the toughest case I ever had was representing an oral surgeon in uh, Carson City. He, he was charged with sexually molesting uh, seven patients. And uh, each one of the patients had somebody who was waiting for them to come out of the operating room. And they each said, all of his patients said to these people who were waiting to give them a ride home, this doctor did so-and-so to me and such-and-such to me. So it was very tough, but that wasn't enough. His employees uh, who uh, testified against this poor doctor uh, said that uh, at five o'clock, he said to the employees, go home, uh, turn down the lights, turn up the music, pull the drapes, lock the door. So it looked like a pretty tough case. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had uh, uh, the judges from Carson City uh, all disqualified themselves, there were two of them. And they brought in a judge uh, from Urington to try the case. And he wanted to give my client, uh, if he wanted to give him one day, he wanted to give him 1,500 years. Uh, he wanted to string him up. I mean, he hated my client and it was just a very tough atmosphere in which to try the case. And I was um, fortunate enough to uh, get a not guilty there. That case would be the last one Oscar tried as an attorney, but it was a moment that would come full circle later. It was in 1998, after years of traveling to represent mobsters in cities like Chicago and Philadelphia, Goodman noticed his days started to look like the movie Groundhog Day. So basically I would just go to court, go to my office first, go to court, I come home, have dinner, uh, talk to my wife, usually outside because they had parabolic mics all over, all over me. And uh, we whispered to each other, it's a funny way to live. And then uh, I would get up the next morning and repeat it. And most of my practice was out of town at the time. So it was basically going to the airport on Sunday and then flying out of uh, Las Vegas uh, International Airport. Uh, to uh, wherever my trial was going to be and going to the hotel and having a couple pretzels at the bar and saying hi to the bartender, having a drink, going up, last minute checking all my files and then going to court the next morning, eating lunch uh, with my clients usually in their cell with them. They would give me an, a, an apple or an orange. They didn't care for that. They would eat the bologna sandwich. 
and um, go uh, walk back to my uh, my hotel. This was a routine. Just about every case I had was like this. As a lawyer, I represented uh, oh uh, all sorts of alleged and reputed people. I re- represented a federal judge in the case before the U.S. Senate, um, first trial before the Senate. Of the last century, I represented somebody charged with murdering a federal judge in Texas. I had done everything. And I was just going down to the office every morning and seeing how much money I could earn. And that wasn't me. It mm-hmm. wasn't, not that it wasn't challenging, but I was beginning not to like myself because I feel that the only reason I'm going down to the office now is to make money. Can I make a million dollars a case? Can I make $2 million a case? And I said, that's not me. I like to think of myself as trying to help people and to make sure that the government is held to a certain standard. And uh, it was bothering me terribly. Meanwhile, Oscar got his moment in Hollywood during the movie Casino, which was a loosely based story of his client, Frank Lefty Rosenthal. Oscar had a minor role in the courtroom scene, playing himself. It was that project that led to one of his biggest fans also being a tough critic, in turn, setting Oscar on a new course. Uh, The movie came out, and um, my mother called me up, and she said, Oscar, I saw your movie, and she said, it's a good thing you're a lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't getting any other phone calls after that. And, well, I'll tell you later, uh, that's the reason I ran for mayor, because, you know, in order to make a movie in Las Vegas, you get, have to have a permit. And I figured if I were the mayor, I would uh. require anybody getting a permit to give me a part. <laughs> but Oscar's case for becoming mayor needed to be reviewed by a very discerning jury. He did say, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to run for something. Here's Carolyn Goodman, Oscar's wife, describing the moment Oscar announced his intention to run for office during a holiday cruise to the Caribbean with their family. He really had lost it. I had no idea because I had said to him, why don't you go out to the university and teach? Why don't you? I mean, I gave him a whole bunch of things. And somebody, somebody close to him, but not that close because he doesn't have people that close, um, must have said why don't you run for some political office? And that's when he said, I'm gonna, I want to run for mayor. And then I said, well, put it to a vote, let's see. And the truth was, because one night at dinner, he just said to the kids, I'm thinking I'm running for mayor, what do you think? That Carolyn abstained and the four children voted for it and nothing against me. I said, why? They said, Dad, there's no way you can win. You have more baggage than the sky caps out of, of the Las Vegas <laughs> International Airport. <laughs> <laughs> that, we've understood that that was the case that you had to win over your entire family. Yes. With no prior interest or experience in local government, it seemed likely this would be one case Oscar would not win. I think the people of Las Vegas know what I'm all about. Uh, I'm an affable fella. And uh, I would uh, go around even representing these supposedly bad people. And people were nice to me in town. I think they know what I do for a living. I, I try to defend their rights. And if I can defend their rights by representing people that they think are very bad, then I'm doing, I'm doing a, 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 a real service uh, for our country. Well, a lot of people would snicker at that. I, I took it seriously. And I said, if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to run, I'm going to win. I, I, I don't go into something to lose. And it was with that in mind that I went back to the law office. I told the fellas in the office and the ladies in the office, I said, I'm, I'm here just for another week or so, and then I'm going down and I'm going to file on the last day of filing, which I did. And uh, 
uh, you know, uh, history tells the story. On June 8, 1999, Goodman cemented himself into the history books once again by being elected mayor at 60 years old. He received more than 63% of the vote against his opponent, then Las Vegas City Councilman Arnie Adamson. One of his first stops after winning the election was to the permitting office. I said, ma'am, I'm Oscar Goodman. I'm your new mayor. She said, nice to meet you, sir. I said, I have a request. She says, what can I do for you? I said, if anybody wants to make a movie and they want a permit, they have to give me a part. She said, you can't do that. I said, I can. I'm the mayor. Well, two weeks later, mayor, guess who's in the waiting room? Who? Jackie Chan and Brett Ratner. Well, I didn't know Brett at the time. I knew him afterwards, but uh, I said, well, send the gentleman in. They came in. They said, we can't believe what we just heard from the lady in charge of the permit here. You have to have a part? I said, I have to have a part. You mean you have to have a part in rush hour too? I said, you bet. The stars were involved in this conversation. Jackie Chan is. is oh, he a- was right there in my office. And, uh, and Ratner. They said, hmm. all right. Uh, it was a great part. It was at the DI before they imploded it. Right. They had the main ballroom, and it was all with flocked red paper, wallpaper. And I had a couple lines. Uh, Chris Tucker was in it. Mm-hmm. Alan King was in it. Right. Uh, and I had a ball. I mean, I, I, I thought it was a cat's meow. And uh, the, uh, the movie comes out. And then there was a, a, a curmudgeon type uh, columnist or whatever he considered himself around here, a guy by the name of Ralston. And uh, he couldn't wait to call up and he said, you know, your movie came out and you were on the cutting room floor. I hung up the phone. (laughs) So he saw it before you were able to. I should never have taken the call. So so, um, I said, get get Chan on the phone. They called him up and I said, do you know who I am, Mr. Chan? Yeah, you're the mayor. I said, forget about being the mayor. Anybody could be a mayor. I used to represent all the boys. Okay, Mr. Chan. And they don't appreciate me being unhappy. And I am unhappy. I scared him so much, I am in the DVD. (laughs) This is Eric Papa, former press secretary for Oscar Goodman, who worked closely with him for almost three years. Of course, we've all heard him say that he did represent some really bad people, but he was defending their constitutional rights. Even though he represented these really bad, evil people, somebody had to defend them, and, and that's what he did. You know, people in other cities might wonder why Las Vegas would elect a mob mayor, a mouthpiece for the mob. And the reality is uh, he was an important part of old Las Vegas. And when he was elected, people here who had been here for a while saw him as part of the community, as part of Las Vegas, part of Las Vegas lore. And so we embraced him and we elected him to office. During his time in office, Goodman made a splash with his stances on issues and outlandish plans. He announced during an interview that he would press for the brothelization of the city in an effort to go one step above legalizing prostitution. He declared the war on drugs a failure and wanted to legalize all drugs, including heroin and cocaine, making it the responsibility of parents to educate children not to use drugs. The benefit from doing that was to provide revenue for education and increase teacher salaries to more than $250,000. He suggested the homeless be rounded up and bused to an abandoned prison or pushed farther toward the Pacific Ocean. But one of his most wild ideas could be tied back to his time working with the mob. 
During a 2005 television appearance, Goodman suggested that those who deface roads with graffiti should have their thumbs cut off on television, a moment Eric Papa remembers well. It was something that, you know, was amusing to many people. I mean, I think he was expressing this, this anger and this frustration that here we are trying to build up our city. We want it to be beautiful. We want it to be the best of all things. And especially in downtown, the last thing we want is people tagging our community. And so I think he was expressing a frustration and an anger that probably a lot of us in the community have. Now, I don't think anybody seriously, it took him seriously when he said he wanted to cut off their thumbs. But back then, um, you know, people weren't maybe as sensitive as perhaps they are now. So, um, yeah, I think I think people were amused by it and it kind of fit in with his persona, uh, whether maybe it actually even scared some would be taggers from tagging. Uh, we can only hope. Can't get enough of the intrigue, drama and excitement behind the history of Las Vegas? Live it by dining at the Golden Steer Steakhouse, the oldest steakhouse in Las Vegas and an old haunt of Tony Spilatro's. You know, the guy from the podcast you're listening to. The Golden Steer has been serving up famous and infamous customers since 1958. From mobsters to the Rat Pack, Muhammad Ali to Holly Madison. Enjoy this classic experience in person or try the world-famous best steaks on earth in the comfort of your own home by ordering today at goldensteerlasvegas.com. Goodman's strong positions on issues not only put him front and center for criticism, but also subjected his family to scrutiny. For example, Carolyn Goodman still remembers a woman who approached her and spit on her in a grocery store at Commercial Center decades ago. It was a, a shock. Somebody come up and spit on you. I mean, today it could be somebody who's mentally ill and come up and spit on you where you walk out of here if they're wandering around still City Hall. Still at the Commercial Center. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, there were always, there were always those that... Um, don't really care. They're just caught up in their own hatred, anger, blame of others. And this woman must have been who that. Was she? Who was she? Who was she in real life? Who was, who was she? I have no idea. Carolyn speculates that due to the large amount of press coverage Oscar was receiving, it may have ruffled some feathers. One thing Oscar prioritized as mayor was making himself accessible to the media. He would hold weekly conferences every Thursday on a variety of topics and allow those in attendance to ask questions, which he answered in true Oscar fashion. He understood the importance of uh, transparency in government, of providing access to the public and the media to, to the inner workings of, of city government. And so he decided to hold a news conference every week, uh, almost without fail. I think it was on a Thursday every week. And so our routine was that, uh, you know, we would find out who was going to be there, if they had any particular questions. We would anticipate the kinds of subjects that would come up. And uh, before every news conference, we would meet with him, I would meet with him, and uh, along with a couple of other people, and we would go over what we anticipated would come up at the news conference. And for example, you know, a question, you know, Oscar question X is going to come up. If it comes up, uh, we think you should say this. And we would descend from the 10th floor office via elevator down into the chambers of City Hall where we hosted this news conference. And of course, we anticipated correctly, question next came up. And as soon as the question was asked, Oscar said something exactly the opposite of what we told him to say. So um, 
And most politicians wouldn't necessarily do that, right? We were paid to give our best advice. And sometimes he would take it and sometimes he wouldn't. I mean, he's, he's an independent guy. And so we would, at the end of the news conference, we'd get back in that same elevator, go up to the 10th floor, and in the elevator, we would look at each other and Oscar would say, I couldn't help myself, sorry guys. We were all in Oscar's gin cabinet on the 10th floor, uh, usually after those news conferences. Despite his rocky history with the FBI as an attorney, Oscar understood the agency's importance and made sure to keep them in his plans as mayor. I was a, uh, a big adversary of them all, but it's like I was a big adversary of uh, the FBI heads. And um, uh, the first, not the first thing I did, but when I was first elected, one of the first things I did was persuade Grant Ashley, who was the special agent in charge of the FBI here, to keep the FBI building in the city of Las Vegas over there on Charleston. They were going to move out to Henderson. Hmm. And uh, uh, I I convinced them uh, to to go down to uh, the west side and uh, to build an FBI building there because I felt that area really needed that kind of presence of the the law. In 2003, Goodman was reelected to a second four-year term in another landslide victory. He defeated five opponents after he received more than 85% of the vote. Then in 2007, he was reelected to a third and final term, again securing the seat with more than 83% of the vote. Despite having been called Las Vegas's most popular mayor, due to Las Vegas's term limits, it restricts mayors to a maximum of three terms. Oscar would step away from the position, but not before turning the keys to the office over to someone else in the Goodman clan, his wife, Carolyn Goodman. At the time, Oscar was the only mayor to serve three decades. His bulldog persona as an attorney and his work ethic defending mobsters came into play for how he ran his office, according to Eric Papa. He was very demanding. He was a hard worker and he demanded uh, hard work from, the, from staff. You know, politicians, political figures aren't always in the office every day, nine to five. Uh, he was. He was there all the time working hard and I got to be a, a witness to that. During his time as mayor, Goodman became known for events with costumed showgirls by his side and a gin martini in hand. He is representative of what the old Las Vegas used to be and representative of everything that's good about this city, I think. It's so much fun uh, having been the mayor, uh, coming from a background of uh, representing purported, alleged, reputed mobsters uh, for 35 years and being able to do things that I never even dreamed I would be involved in. One thing Oscar was able to bring to life was the creation of the Mob Museum, a project that combined his political deafness with his legal prowess defending accused mobsters. I uh, went up to the 10th floor of City Hall and looked out the window and I saw the old U.S. courthouse and post office and I said, what's happening there? That's where I tried my first case. I said, what's happening there? And they said, I don't know, we'll check it out. We called up uh, the GSA, which is General Services Administration, Uh, the agency in charge of uh, buildings for the federal government, and said, what's the story with this post office and courthouse? And they said, well, check it out for you, Mayor Goodman. I said, please do that. They came back and they said, this was uh, surplus. I said, what does that mean? They said, if the city of Las Vegas wants to buy it, uh, we'll sell it to them. I said, sounds good to me. I said, what's the price? They said, a dollar. 
I said, it sounds better to me. I said, there's got to be a catch to this. It sounds too good to me. And they said, all you have to do is put it back into its original condition, restore it just the way it was and use it for museum purposes. So I said, that's fair. So I went home that night and began to think about it. I said, we could do that. We had the dollar anyhow. And I'm saying to myself, what kind of museum? Because I was raised by uh, two cultured people, although it's hard to believe uh, after hearing some of these people who don't know me at all talking about me. But my parents were uh, good parents. They were, they were ethical, moral, wonderful people uh, who uh, uh, really uh, provided me with the greatest education and, and the best values of the world. And then I had my wife who did the same thing. And uh, I said, you know, we'll never be able to have a great art museum down there because no one's going to watch art. Uh, and I was trying to redevelop our downtown, which is turning into rubble when I was elected and becoming uh, blighted. And I, I said, uh, what else? Um, we're not going to have great art. We're not going to have great sculpture, although I love sculpture. We're not going to have all these wonderful cultural things. And then boom, a light bulb went on. And I said, my God, we are different than any other place on earth. We're the only town in the history of the world that was built from the mob. I said, we're going to have a mob museum. Well, if you would hear the, the do-gooders scream and yell, how dare he build a monument for himself? How dare he build a monument for his clients? He can't do that. I said, I could do whatever I want. I'm the mayor. And uh, uh, we have the mob museum. It's the greatest thing that hit the face of the earth as far as downtown is concerned. And I'm so happy that we did that. And that is, uh, I'm not a believer in legacies. Once I start talking about legacies, uh, uh, then I may as well hang it up. Uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I want to know what tomorrow is going to bring, not what I did yesterday. And I'm so proud of myself that I had the guts to stand in the face of everybody who wanted to say, you can't do it. Well, I can do whatever ever I want to do because I'm Oscar Goodman. Throughout his time as an attorney and as mayor, Goodman received his share of praise and criticism from everyone, including public officials, journalists, and former mobsters. During this season, you have heard from some of them. Up until now, Oscar has not. But that's all about to change. On part seven of Mobbed Up, the fight for Las Vegas, Oscar hits back. Hear his reaction to some of the voices you've heard from throughout the series. I have to give credit to an FBI agent by the name of Mark Casper. Oh my God. Shame on them, shame on him. You know, you can say whatever you want in this day and age. I think I'm a woke person, I don't know. Your response to that? To what? To his comments. To a lot of his comments, they don't deserve a response. I never represented the fella. Well, uh, if he told you that, he's a bunch of hooey and I'm being nice about it. This has been part six, season three of Mobbed Up, a production of the Las Vegas Review Journal in partnership with the Mob Museum. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Also, be sure to leave us a rating or review. Production staff includes editor Anastasia Hendricks, Producer, Carrie Roper. Field and studio production by Larry Muir. Sound design and mix by Greg Conway. 
Special thanks to Oscar's Steakhouse in downtown Las Vegas at the Plaza for hosting us on site. And to our guests, Carolyn Goodman and Eric Papa. To learn more about Mobbed Up, visit lvrj.com backslash podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode.